0: Dr. Joe Mott earned his Ph.D. at LSU and was a distinguished math professor at Florida State University for 38 years, helping to write three math textbooks and authoring over 30 research articles in math. He is now the host of this radio program, Defending and Commending the Faith. Here is Joe Mott.
1: Welcome to the program of Defending and Commending the Faith. As you know, the faith I am defending is the Christian faith. This program is concerned with apologetics, the discipline that deals with a rational defense of the Christian faith. Underlying Christianity is theism, the worldview that believes in the existence of a single, infinite, personal God who created the universe and miraculously intervenes in it from time to time. God is transcendent over the universe and immanent in it. The three great theistic religions are Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. All believers in Christ are charged to be able to give reasons for their faith. The following charts comes to us from one of history's greatest examples of someone who recovered from the failure of having denied any connection to Jesus before the crucifixion and then being forgiven and restored by Jesus after the resurrection. I'm referring to the Apostle Peter. He later wrote this passage, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer or defense to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed for their slander that's found in 1 peter 3 verses 15 and 16 peter wrote to strengthen christians who were suffering for their faith no this is not a suggestion but a command Being prepared is not just a matter of having the right information available. It is also having an attitude of readiness and eagerness to share the truth of what we believe. We may never run across someone who asks us tough questions about our faith. But we should be ready and willing to give an answer in case someone does. In today's episode, I want to continue discussing the question, is belief in God reasonable? Of course, if God does not exist, then it is certain that belief in God is not reasonable. So the first task is to give reasons concerning the evidence for God's existence. In the last episode, I referred to the evidence of the beginning of the universe In episodes 51 and 53, I gave the following argument due originally to Kalam. Premise one, everything that begins to exist has a cause. Premise two, the universe began to exist. Conclusion, therefore the universe has a cause for its existence. Rather than giving the details for the truth of the premises, allow me to give some additional discursive comments. If you need to see the details, consult those episodes 51 through 53. Almost immediately, we can conclude that the first cause of the universe is uncaused, and is, of course, outside of the universe, for the cause cannot be the source of its own existence. Since time, space, matter, and energy came into existence with the universe, then the first cause of the universe must be timeless, spaceless, and immaterial. In other words, the first cause is eternal, omnipresent, and is spirit. Normally, throughout history, When an argument reveals some of the attributes of the God of the Bible, the arguer jumps from those few attributes to conclude that the being who possesses those attributes must be God. In episodes 54 and 55, I extended Kalam's argument about the beginning of the universe to conclude that the first cause of the universe is identical to the God of the Bible. At that time, I thought I was the first to realize that conclusion. But I discovered later that Norman Gosler gave a different proof with the same conclusion. That proof can be found in his book, Christian Apologetics, pages 137 and following. The fact that the universe began to exist is a discovery by the disciplines of astrophysics and cosmology in the last century. This notion of a beginning of the universe was resisted by some of the world's atheistic thinkers. Why? Because it pointed toward a creator and the truth of the first five words of Genesis in the Bible. And they didn't want science to show their atheistic worldview was wrong. The physicist Fred Hall said a common sense interpretation of the facts suggests that a superintellect has monkeyed with physics. In the last episode, I referred to the evidence of the moral argument for God's existence. I appeal to William Lane Craig's version of the moral argument in episodes 72 and 73. Immanuel Kant was the first major philosopher who used the moral argument. The moral argument for God's existence have been presented by many since Kant's time. A popular version by C.S. Lewis is as follows. Premise one, there are objective moral laws. Premise two, moral laws come from a moral lawgiver. Conclusion, therefore a moral lawgiver exists and God is that moral lawgiver. In his book, The Brothers Karamazov, the Christian philosopher Dostoevsky said, quotes, if there is no immortality of the soul, there can be no virtue, and therefore everything is permitted. Basically, Dostoevsky is saying, once God is rejected, anything goes, and there is no moral restraint. The moral argument starts with the simple fact of ethical experience. The pressure to do one's duty can be felt very strongly. Who or what is causing this pressure? Is it not enough to say that we are conditioned by society to feel these pressures? Some of the greatest moralists in history have acquired their fame precisely because they spoke out against the moral failings of their tribe, class, race, or nation. The names of Abraham Lincoln and William Wilberforce come to mind in their opposition to chattel slavery. If society's subjectivism is the explanation of moral motivation, then we have no right to criticize slavery or genocide, or anything. Evolutionists attack the moral argument by insisting that all morality is nothing more than a long evolutionary development from animal instincts. People, they claim, work out their ethical systems by living together in social communities. But this objection is a two-edged sword. If it kills the inner moral law, then it also kills reason and the scientific method. The evolutionist believes that the human intellect developed from the physical brain of the primates. Yet, he assumes that the human intellect and reason are trustworthy, I hope that you in the audience, like me, will find that assumption too big a pill to swallow. In his 1993 book, Warrant and Proper Function, the philosopher Alvin Plantinga gives an argument in terms of the reliability of our faculty of reasoning to give truth. He argued If you believe that naturalism and evolution are true, then you have a defeater of all your beliefs. That is, Plantinga is saying that the assumption of naturalism and evolution is something that undermines all your beliefs. In the last episode, I had not finished giving evidence for God's existence from life's origin. Having not addressed that in the program, I will have to give details for the truth of the premises of that argument. But for now, allow me to postpone finishing that discussion and give an argument that perhaps I can finish in the time remaining. I now give the present evidence in nature. Perhaps the most common appeal to nature as evidence for God's existence, is some form of teleological or design argument. This argument is one of the oldest, most popular and intelligible of the theistic proofs. Although the argument dates back to the time before Plato, the English apologist William Paley, who lived between 1743 and 1805, offered what has become the classic formulation of the design argument. Paley insisted that if one found a watch in an empty field, he would naturally and correctly conclude that it was not the result of natural forces alone, but instead had a watchmaker. Similarly, if one studies the more complex design found in the natural world, He cannot but conclude that there is a world designer behind it. Paley's argument suggests that there is a definite analogy between the order and regularity of the natural world and the product of human ingenuity. For a watch indicates that it was put together for an intelligent purpose, that is, to keep time, by virtue of its Intricate series of parts from spring to cogs to glass cover. The spring gives it motion. The cogs transmit the motion to the hands. And the glass cover enables one to see the hands and determine the time. In like manner, the natural world has far greater and more subtle adaptations of means to an end the human eye alone would suffice to show intelligent design in nature. It follows then that if a watch needs a watchmaker, then the natural world needs an even greater designer who we call God. The young Charles Darwin accepted Paley's design argument for a while, but eventually Darwin rejected it. He said he was driven to the conclusion, the old argument of design in nature as given by Paley, which formerly seemed to me so conclusive, fails. Now that the law of natural selection had been discovered. I am inclined to look at everything as resulting from designed laws with the details, whether good or bad, left to the working out of what we may call chance." So natural selection becomes Darwin's God. Voltaire, the outspoken critic of Christianity during the Enlightenment, seemed to accept Paley's argument. He said, if a watch proves the existence of a watchmaker, but the universe does not prove the existence of a great architect, then I consent to be called a fool.
0: Thank you for listening to Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, a production of Wave 94 Radio in Tallahassee, Florida. If you have any questions or comments for Joe, please forward them to Doug Apple at Wave 94 at this email address, DougApple at Wave94.com. And be sure to join us every Monday evening at 6.45 p.m. on Wave 94 and subscribe through your favorite podcast app, Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott.